Welcome to the podcast edition of Coaching Through Chaos, bringing you what you need to succeed. Now, here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi there, and welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. I bring you expert interviews each week to inspire, motivate, and empower you whenever you may need it. This show is for anyone seeking to continue their life education, and once a month I do a show geared towards supporting those who serve. And today's show is one such episode. My interview today is with Jeff Dill. He was a career firefighter. He's now a retired captain who has since gone on to get his master's in counseling and founded the Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance. The mission of the Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance is to raise awareness of mental health issues affecting firefighters and EMTs in an effort to decrease the number of suicides among that population each year. In doing that, they provide so much more to that population, those working with them, and those who care for them. Let's take a listen. Please welcome retired fire captain and now licensed therapist, Jeff Dill. I'm here with Jeff Dill, who is with the Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance. Jeff, can you tell me who you are, what you do, and how the Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance got started? Well, if you want me to describe who I am, you'll need more than 20 minutes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a story in itself, Colleen. All right. But, uh, <laughs> I am um, I'm recently retired. I guess if you can see recently, it was uh, January of this year after 26 years in the fire service. Uh, I started out as a volunteer firefighter and then went career in 1995. And uh, I put uh, so t- 26 years in total-wise. And just uh, firefighter behavior health came around actually after Hurricane Katrina, uh, working out as a battalion chief just outside of Chicago for Palatine Rural Fire Protection District. Uh, the Division One, the Chicagoland area, sent down firefighters to New Orleans to help our brothers and sisters in the community. And when they came back, uh, I, w- I talked to several of them, and I also had a part-time job that I traveled across the United States, so I, I would talk to firefighters who went down down to uh, New Orleans. And they had the uh, same story, that they wanted to go to their EAP, their Employee Assistant Program counselors, to discuss the devastating things that they saw. But uh, unfortunately, the counselors great people, but they didn't understand our culture. So I thought, well, how can I give back to my brothers and sisters? And then I decided to go back for my master's and become a licensed counselor. And actually, in 2009, I founded uh, Counseling Services for Firefighters. And this was a... Uh, organization to educate my brothers and sisters on anxiety and stress and depression. But uh, around 2010, mid-2010, I started receiving phone calls and emails from all over the world saying, Jeff, uh, do you do anything about firefighter and EMT suicides? And I thought, well, I didn't realize we had a problem. And I, and I tried to contact, well, I did. I contacted every known organization that's connected with the fire service, and no one kept any data on our lost brothers and sisters. And hence, uh, FPHA, which is a 501c3, was founded in 2011, and we are the only known organization in the United States that tracks and validates firefighter and EMT suicides. And the validation process 
I know we'll uh, we'll get into that uh, a little later within this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you started this counseling service for firefighters and then found out about the subsequent need for suicide prevention. Can you talk a little bit about why suicide prevention for firefighters is so needed? What have you found out since you started collecting that data? It's, uh, wow, for four years now, we've validated, and if you go to our website, uh, which is www.ffb, org, you'll see a number on there, and it's a 708. And those are the validated numbers of firefighter and EMTs that we know of. And the first one actually was in 1880. It was right on the front page of the New York Times, the fire chief out of uh, Auburn, New York. But most recently, I don't know if it's just increased or maybe the awareness of who we are in people reporting the loss of their loved ones. But why is it so needed? And people ask me that question all the time. They say, well, Jeff, we're unfortunately known as uh, the suicide people, F-E-H-A, but we do so much more in regard to behavioral health. And we talk about addictions and post-traumatic stress. And if we know at this point right now that we have validated 92 firefighter and EMT suicides in 2015 at what we estimate at a 30% reporting that know about us, how many of us are suffering from addictions and post-traumatic stress? And because of our, our culture, the way that we were raised in our academies, fire academies and EMS and paramedic academies, there has not been a lot of behavioral health training. And there hasn't been that awareness that these are the things that might affect you because you're holding people that die in your hands and seeing children that are, are SIDS or uh, drownings. And, and these things affect us because we are human beings first. And so that lack of awareness on what might actually happen when you become a firefighter or EMT paramedic is been neglected. But I, I'm starting to see the swing, which is a great thing to see, but we have a long ways to go. So when we talk about suicide prevention and awareness, you know, it actually starts with early on signs of addictions and, and signs and symptoms of PTS. So uh, suicide, unfortunately, is the, the final act of that neglect of getting help or people not understanding what's going on within themselves. Right. When you talk about these firefighters who are on the job and not recognizing that they're subjecting themselves to essentially post-traumatic stress, there's a lot of talk and a lot of culture around, it feels like, um, just kind of taking things because it's part of the job. So you see people die in your arms. You go on calls on, as you said, babies with SIDS. You watch people burn. You put yourself in life-threatening situations to take care of these fires. And it feels like the culture is just to accept it as part of the job. So it sounds like now you're trying to get the word out to let the firefighters know what they should be aware of along the way and how, I assume, how to take care of themselves and know when the stress is getting to be too much for them. Absolutely, Colleen. And there's some themes that we have in our workshops. Uh, Be direct when talking to each other. A challenge with compassion if you hear or see something. But we added a third one recently, and that's called doing an internal size up of what's going on in your life. And you have to listen to people because as human beings, when someone walks up to us and says, hey, you've changed, we uh, we actually say, hey, you know what? No, I haven't. I haven't changed. And I make this guarantee to firefighters and EMTs and paramedics, you've been in this business, you've changed. And you have to listen to people who see you the best. Because like you said, uh, you know, when you have people, uh, just the the tragic things that we see nowadays and and people that die in your arms. And when I got in the fire service back in uh, 89, 90, 
Now, there was, you look forward to, you know, structure fires because that was the the gnome for fire service, but also the EMS calls. But now what we're seeing today are just those mass shootings and those type of things that we're just going up against. And when you read about the deputy chief who just wrote about the Rosberg, uh, Oregon, the campus shooting, is that his people are, are suffering. And uh, this is what we're not really preparing our people for in our fire academies, and we're trying to make that change. That change has to be in the state curriculums. It has to be in the changes in the EMT and paramedic courses. That there has to be mandatory behavioral health. That yes, what you're doing, we're going to make you confident and competent firefighters and paramedics. But be aware, these are the mental stressors that you are going to go through, and uh, that type of awareness has to be brought forth, also within organizations that they create positive behavioral health programs for their members. And I make that statement more and more now: is what are we seeing more of? Structure fires or our personnel dealing with personal or on-the-job issues. It sounds like you're at the forefront of providing a much-needed service. So I'm going to move into asking you some things that you are offering on your website to tell us about those things. So you have something called the Ambassador Program. Can you tell us what that's all about? Yes, this is a you know, relatively new program for us because uh, for the last three and a half years, I've been traveling all across North America, up to the Yukon, you know, Alaska, three times, down to Florida. I do a lot of traveling, and we don't really advertise who we are because there's a lot of people that don't know. And here's an example, Colleen. Uh, last year, we had 87 line of duty death in fire service at a 100% reporting. We estimate a 30% reporting, yet I personally spoke to 106 fire and EMS chiefs on the losses of their members. And so I thought, well, you know what? We don't really like to advertise because how do you advertise something like this? Uh, have you had a suicide cause? You know, I, I don't want it to be that way. But I thought, well, maybe we need to enroll some firefighters and, and even some counselors who are involved uh, with the fire service to try to spread the word about what we have to offer and try to bring that education. So we started this ambassador program, and uh, we just actually had some training the last two nights where we brought in an, uh, an additional nine. So that will bring us up to about 19. Within those 19, we have uh, eight or nine instructors as well. So as we develop and grow, I don't have to try to meet every obligation. I can send now ambassadors and instructors. It sounds like you need some extra helping hands around you. Can you tell us about the different workshops that you have and who would attend those? Because I know you have some that are structured for different people. We, uh, when I first uh, started, we just had one program, and that was called Saving Those Who Save Others. And as we started going along, the different avenues that opened up who needs help and, and how we can give them, it, it was just unbelievable. So Saving Those Who Save Others is our, probably our most in-demand workshop because it's an in-depth on firefighter and EMT suicide prevention and awareness. And within that, we do uh, warning signs that are specific to the fire service. I know that you can go on the Internet and find suicide warning signs in general, but ours are specific for the fire and EMS because we've spoken to thousands and thousands of firefighters. And we talk about communications, how to talk to each other, the emotional, physical behaviors. And one of the keys, we also do role play. Uh, role play allows us to learn something about how to communicate with each other during these crisis time when someone comes up to us and says, hey, you know what, I'm not doing so well. And because there has been a lack of, there's been a lack of training, a lot of us are uncomfortable on how to address those situations. And 
a lot of us will not go to employee assistant programs. So what type of resources can we offer? And that's what you'll find in those saving those who save others. And I just mentioned EAPs and employee assistant. I'm a licensed counselor. I have a master's degree in counseling. And we created a, a program called A Firefighter's Life. And this is a four-hour workshop for counselors and chaplains who are wanting to get in working with the fire and EMS personnel. And yet they don't understand our culture. So this four-hour workshop really gives them an in-depth look at just the terminology, the way that we think. And then at the end of it, uh, we actually put anyone who wants to, we put them in gear and we black out their mask. We don't put on the tanks because they're pretty heavy. We use a room and we put a doll in there and they do a search and rescue just to give them somewhat of an idea of what it's like when you're in that heat and smoke and, and flames. And so that's uh, a firefighter's life. And as we started going, we started developing more, one called an internal size up. And this is more an in-depth overall that looks at stress and anxiety, alcoholism, addictions. Then uh, we thought, you know what? A lot of our family members, we've become so close with so many families across North America. And I thought, well, we need a workshop for them as well. Not only to what they see in their spouses and partners, but what's happening to themselves and how it's affecting their family and possibly their children. So we have a Saving Those Who Save Others Family Edition workshop. And then I thought, well, you know what? We're really promoting that organizations should have behavioral health programs, and there's specific steps we notice that you have to take. So then we developed this two-hour behavioral health program development class. And then the final one, the one that we just introduced in August at the Fire Chiefs Convention down in Atlanta is saying goodbye and emotional detachment. And this one addresses retirement. And it, it was a very well-received, very powerful class. And, and I can tell you, I speak from experience because it was, a, it was a little difficult, and I'm in this business. It was a little difficult to say goodbye to the fire service as I knew it. And so this one is uh, especially needed. Uh, we do track retirees, those that are disability fired. But as difficult as it is to get active numbers for firefighters and EMTs that take their lives, it's more difficult to get those retirees. But we do know that out of the 144 that we've obtained and validated, 35 of those, and they were firefighters, 35 of those firefighters took their lives within the first week of retirement. And so we're not preparing ourselves for retirement. And that goes for both volunteer and career, because as, as a volunteer, I know that mentality of always giving to your community and being recognized, and all of a sudden that's gone. So that affects you as well. So those are the six workshops, and they, like I said, they're very well received. Yeah, I can see how the workshops that you're giving to train, I love that you went and became a licensed counselor because you can really train those role plays. And I think it's great to kind of point out that a lot of people don't know what to do or say when someone starts talking about how bad the emotional upset is for them. So training your guys to be able to help each other is a wonderful thing, like a peer-to-peer -peer support is what it sounds like. And the training for the counselors and clergy wonderful as well. I'm wondering, that made me think where everybody can find this. Like, How many states are you actually in right now? As in uh, ambassador programs? As a licensed therapist, where could I find one of these firefighters? Yeah, as a resource. Uh, you know, and, and that's a great question because on a weekly basis, I get firefighters who call me and say, Jeff, do you have someone in our area? And if I have had previous experience with contacts with counselors there, I'll, rec I'll refer them. 
But if they haven't, then what I do, and I do this at no charge, I contact three or four counselors or chaplains in the area and ask them. And, and I pretty much grill them you know, with uh, scenarios or situations because I want my firefighters and my EMT brothers and sisters to find some good help. And then once I talk to them and I think, hey, you know what, uh, they have experience working with fire and EMTs as well, I'll call that firefighter back and say, hey, here's a list of three names, give them a call, and then I'll follow up a, a couple of these later just to make sure that they did follow through with the call. We're adjusting our website, we're updating it pretty soon, and you'll have resources, firefighters and EMTs will have resources available that they can click on and see a state and contact that counselor or chaplain in that area. I think your training the firefighter's life just sounds so relevant and needed. I love the idea of gearing up the therapist or the clergyman to go in and do the search and rescue as close to real life training as they could get. Right. I think that's a wonderful way to train people. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, bringing you what you need to succeed. On your website, there's also something out there called the Five Bugles for Change. Can you tell us what that's about? Yeah, that was a program that I designed a few years ago, and it's more of letting people know that these members that sign up for Five Bugles for Change are dedicated to making changes in their organization. And so fire chiefs, training officers, even firefighters, some chaplains, they will send us a form, and we send them a nice certificate. And in it, it just states that we are dedicated to making a change in behavioral health to our organization. And I think it validates that's what they want to do. Like I said, so it's right there on our website. And if anyone wants to join that program, feel free to contact us on our website. You've already mentioned tracking the number of firefighters who've committed suicide. You've already mentioned the number for 2015 a few times and that it's underreported based on your own experience of talking to chiefs out there. There is a place where family members or other department members can log the occurrences of suicide when they happen. I believe they can do that on your website. Is that right? And can you tell us about how you're using that information? When you go to our website, you see a firefighter suicide report, and that goes for EMT, too. Uh, we just we ran out of numbers when it comes into our uh, login spaces, so we just put firefighter, but it also is for EMTs. And this is a confidential reporting, which means that when people send them in, I do not know where they come from. But I do ask that you put the organization's name so that I can call and validate. And I'll state this time and time again, wherever I go, we never use names or organizations unless family members call us. And that's important. That's key. And that's that confidentiality. And I think what's happened over these four years is that people believe us because we've not let any of this information out. I'm the only one who has seen any of the confidential information, just myself, not even my wife. So that's, that's how much it endears to me to remain confidential. And so when the reports do come in and I contact the fire or EMS organization, I can tell you right now, we've had 100% compliance of the reporting. So when uh, people send that in, uh, we appreciate it. We ask for information. Uh, there's drop boxes, of, you know, the, the method and, uh, you know, any known reasons, the state, the rank, the age, 
And we take that data because it's important. We've learned so much from it. And yet, like I said, we're only 30%. That means 70% of the United States, 1.2 million firefighters, and how many EMS organizations there are, I can't even tell you. 70% of those were missing. And so who are we missing? And I started at BHA because one of the things is that I never want to forget a brother or sister. And then we want to learn the reasons why. And with this information, we've learned that the number one known reason for firefighter and EMT suicide is marital and family relationships, followed by depression, addictions, and post-traumatic stress. We also know, of course, that the number one method is firearms, followed by hanging. And yet there are so many tragic things that we've heard. Uh, five of our brothers have set themselves on fire and end their lives. One EMT used a stick of dynamite to end his life. And, and I'm thinking, how much tragedy have they had in their life? Or how much guilt or pain are they suffering? Or the exhaustion of fighting depression for a, a long period of time? And I really feel bad for these people and these family members because there is nothing there to say, hey, we remember you. And, and that leads us to, uh, and I'm going to do a little sidetrack here, Colleen, that leads to one of the things that we are looking into uh, developing for the next upcoming years, and that is a memorial site for our lost brothers and sisters. Uh, the NFF, the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, does a tremendous job in remembering our line of duty death. And they had the ceremony, in fact, uh, President Barack Obama spoke at it uh, just a couple weeks ago. Well, you know what? With our retreat that we had and getting to know the people and the families, they deserve to have some someplace, somewhere that people can visit and say, yes, we remember their loved ones who served their communities and served in the fire and in EMS. And so that's uh, something that is very big on our list for upcoming years. Wonderful. Sounds like a beautiful way to remember them and giving a public site where the family members can share about them. That leads me to something else that just sounded very healing for the family members. Uh, I noticed on your website that you mentioned a retreat that was held for surviving family members. Can you tell us about that and what you have planned for the future regarding those kind of retreats? I tell you, my wife and I will be married 35 years in November, and we've had some great memories. Uh, of course, our daughter's being born, our grandchildren, but this, those left behind weekend retreat has to rank right up there in our, in our top 10. Because I've known family members for so long, and when we started FBHA, I had three goals. One was to educate my brothers and sisters. The second was to start a scholarship fund for the children of firefighter and EMT suicides. And the third one was to have a retreat weekend to let the families know that they are not alone out there and that somehow we were going to try to network them to, so that they could talk to each other. And that's where we came up with those left behind. And it took us a few years because, like I said, we're a, a 501c3, and, and we don't get, unfortunately, a lot of support from uh, fire manufacturers. Uh, and I've been told in my face that they love what we do, but uh, just because it's suicide, they don't want to be associated with us. So it took us a while for us to raise the money for FBHA. My wife and I, we do this all volunteer work. So it, it took us a while. We finally were able to hold our first one in May. And we invited, actually, family members who we named the scholarships after their lost loved ones. So when people can go to the website and they'll see underneath the scholarship, there's five names. 
and uh, there's pictures and stories sent in by the family, and we invited those as a test run, actually, to see, hey, is this something that will work? And I'll tell you, we had a couple people, a counselor, Sarah Guerra from Massachusetts, uh, we held some sessions, and we had a chaplain, Jerry Medock from Ohio, who also held some sessions. But we wanted it to also, let's have some fun uh, while we're here, too. And so my wife, who arranged everything, did a tremendous job. We held it in Savannah, Georgia. We rented a, a big house, and it had a coach house on the end. And this house had seven or eight bedrooms. And my wife and I had the coach house. And that first night that we met, we were a little apprehensive. You know, is this going to work? And within, uh, I'd say, 15 hours, we came out of the coach house one night. We looked downstairs, and everyone was down in the courtyard talking and laughing. And each one of them said, you know, that it was such a powerful weekend because they could feel normal for once. They didn't have to explain anything to anyone because all these families had either lost a a son, a brother, a, a husband, a father, and... It was it was so moving for us that we want to now start working on our second one, and we're hoping to open it up a little bit more. We have uh, a lot of people now who are on the list for our second Those Left Behind retreat, and uh, so we're uh, we're working on that aspect. Uh, we're going to try to seek some funds from somewhere so that we can open it up to more people, more survivors. That sounds wonderful. And I want to ask about what can someone do to get involved? And and I'm talking financial involvement or volunteer involvement. It, I've been curious about where you do find your money. Is it all donation run? Yeah, when we do workshops, you know, all our all our workshops go to uh, the, the three, the, the scholarship uh, into operations for the workshops and then those left behind uh, retreat. And let me clarify, my wife and I, we volunteer all our time and our work, except when I, when I speak. Uh, when I do workshops, I, I do get compensated for that. But uh, otherwise, it's all volunteer work. And, uh, you know, we're not in it for the money. We are in it, and this is my, my slogan, I'm in business to put myself out of business. You know, so if anyone wants to you know, help volunteer, do some things, or if they want to make any donations, they can go to our website, and there's actually a donation page on our website. Or if they just want to uh, volunteer, somehow get involved, they can send an email to info at ffbha.org, and my wife will uh, answer those emails. And then a last question for you is, what advice would you give a firefighter who may be listening who may be struggling with some suicidal thoughts? or just feeling overwhelmed every day when they get up and not knowing how to deal with the stress? You know, it's, um, I went through a little post-traumatic stress, but it wasn't another job. It was because of a, a family issue. Uh, my granddaughter, uh, who at 20 months was diagnosed with cancer and uh, lost her right eye to it. And, and I still struggle with that. And I speak about it in every workshop because that's what helps, is to talk about what's going on. You cannot let, and I bring it up, in our workshops of cultural brainwashing. You cannot let what our culture dictates us being strong, handling things on our own. It just does not work. It does not work. You need to talk to someone about it. Talk to a chaplain, your EAP, a peer support member, or you can even give us a call so that we can, and I can't counsel them over the phone because I just don't, I don't have a license that covers the United States. But just to, talk about it and let me find you some help so that you can find someone that you're comfortable in talking who understands our culture. And the thing is, I'm not trying to change our culture. I'm trying to enhance it. And if we can bring behavior health awareness. So my advice is if you're struggling, 
do not be brainwashed by what we've been taught in our culture and our fire service and paramedic EMT culture. Talk about it. Talk what's opening up and let that communications flow so that you can then start your own self-healing process. And that's what I talk about. Do an internal size up what's going on in your life and get some help. Great. Great advice. That's going to wrap up our interview, Jeff. So I just want to thank you so much for being here. You've given us so much information. I can't wait to share this with everybody. It's so needed. And I'm actually going to be in contact with you. I'd like to get more involved and see about that training uh, for myself. So thank you so much, Jeff, for being with us today. Colleen, thank you. And Stephen, thank you so very much for being supportive of FBHA. It's deeply appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. Isn't that wonderful what Jeff and the Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance is doing for the firefighters and EMTs and their families? I just think it's wonderful. Thanks, Jeff, for all the good work. Next week, I'm talking with Dr. Barton Goldsmith. You may have read his books on emotional fitness. He's covered emotional fitness in the workplace and emotional fitness for couples. He's got a new series, though, the Overcoming series. I'm going to be speaking with him about overcoming shyness. Don't you wish you could just walk into a room and not worry about saying the right thing? Dr. Goldsmith can help you do that. As we head out of here today, I want to remind you that if you sign up for the Coaching Through Chaos mailing list, you'll get the latest updates and other fun things like where I'm guest blogging or appearing on other podcasts. My free gift to you for signing up for it is my ebook, Five Ways. It's 100 Tips for Living a Healthier, Healthier Life. As always, I want to thank Dr. B for my editing and BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. If you want to follow me between episodes, you can find me on Twitter with the handle at Dr. Colleen Mullen and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. Give me a shout out there. Let me know which episode is your favorite. Well, that's it for today. Have a great week. And if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care.